0: And welcome to the Moonshine Jesus Show, brought to you as always by ProgressiveChristianity.org, a wonderful place for all your progressive Christian needs, including wonderful resources. Follow them on social media and follow us on Facebook and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. I am joined today, as always, by my good buddy, Mark Sandlin. How are you doing today, Mark?
1: I am doing great. I'm so happy to be back. Season three. We're kicking season off. Three. Who would have thought we'd already be on season three, first episode? Uh, and I have missed, we we did a live bro- broadcast, but that was several weeks back. I've missed this. Yeah. I'm glad we're back together doing this, man. I'm excited. Me too. It's good
0: to be back in this format. I enjoy being with you in person, yes. but it's fun to be here in this format as well. Absolutely. Today, we are going to be talking about Rebel Moon, and mm-hmm. that's going to be a lot of fun. But if you haven't seen it... Just know that Mark and I are going to spoil it for you. So if you haven't seen it, uh, you know, decide whether or not you want to know uh, what's going to happen before you listen. But uh, we will have a lot of fun. We'll talk about theology and politics of Rebel Moon. But before we can do that, we got to have some drinks. Do you have a drink, Mark?
1: I do. I do. You know, I noticed that in the title of this show was Mm -hmm. Rebel Moon. We mm-hmm. happen to be the Moonshine Jesus Show. Oh, yeah. So I yes. thought maybe I should have a drink made with Moonshine.
0: Ooh, so I like that.
1: I, I am having a Moonshine Margarita, which is basically uh, yes. a good margarita mix, but instead of tequila, Moonshine. moonshine. How about you? What would you decide to go with? So I played on the word moon as well,
0: but in a uh, different way. So I didn't use Moonshine. Right. I thought about a moon sitting out in space. And so I thought, I need a dark drink for space. So I've got uh, a drink that is part uh, bourbon, part Kahlua, and just a little part Coke. uh, And I've got uh, a moon-shaped ice cube you can't see it because it is so dark, so dark. In, in the space and there are also some stars floating around that you can also you can kind of see oh, i can't I see so those close. stars in there so yeah, sparkling there. there so it's yeah. out in space so cheers to you mark i hope you enjoy cheers, that sunshine margarita let's have a sip and come back mm.
1: oh that's going to be dangerous Jesus. Mm-hmm. Thank Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. You're joining us for our Geek Out segment where we are going to geek out about this show. We'll uh, keep this one a little bit shorter than our next segment where we'll start talking about the Theopolitico uh, perspectives in this. But just to kind of set you up so you know what's going on, uh, this is a show about um, the main character, Cora, who's a lone wolf, wolf soldier who's found community and connection on a quiet farming moon uh, called Velt and she's a uh, basically a long way away from her former life uh fighting for the imperium if that sounds like empire uh, there might be reasons for that but uh, fighting for the imperium and a brutal interstellar royal empire that's bent on controlling the galaxy but of course violent past is dredged up when the sadistic and i do mean sadistic admiral atticus noble comes to velt via dreadnought class battle cruiser and stores up stirs up deadly trouble on the orders of the Imperium's tyrannical regent, Belisarius, who happens to be her adopted father. Uh, And then lots of battles ensue as they begin to try to overcome the uh, Imperium with uh, their band of, go figure, rebel fighters. So, Uh. Caleb, I'm curious. This show, part one, uh, this is a uh, uh, um, a uh, Zack Snyder joint here. He imagined this while I think he was even in college. Uh, it was meant to be a response to Star Wars or maybe a part of Star Wars. He even pitched it to, to this whole group over at Star Wars and was turned down. Maybe it was too dark. I don't really know what ultimately was the thing. Uh, ultimately, episode one or part one is going to come in two parts. Love, hate, or something in between. I feel kind of,
0: eh. <laughs> it was okay. I, I, uh, yeah, I think uh, whenever you pitched this, you said it's all right, and I think that's how <laughs> I felt about it. It's it's all right. Um, I yeah. I enjoyed watching it. It was very Zack Snyder. It yeah. it it was. I mean, visually very dark in the way that Zack Snyder makes all of his movies. It mm-hmm. was. It had the same kind of, uh, you know, a number of action scenes that were extended with plenty of slow motion, uh, plenty of wow. close-ups on the on the barrels of their blasters and all of these mm. things that that are just uh, kind of token. Classic Zack, Zack Snyder, stuff.
1: Snyder, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I, I guess I kind of feel what about this, Mark? Like uh, I think the Star Wars folks made the right decision not allowing Zack Snyder to make uh, a Star Wars movie. Because I think, kind of, maybe he he doesn't uh, he misunderstands kind of the the point of Star Wars in the same way that I think it's the right move for Star Trek not to let Quentin Tarantino make a <laughs> Star Trek movie because ultimately, uh, at the end of the day, I'm not, not sure, sure that he understands what what it's about. So, so that's kind of my impression. It feels very yeah. Zack Snyder. It it was it was a fun watch. Uh, I, am I aching to see part two? Not, not really. How about you? <laughs> do you have a, a different impression? Well,
1: well, first of all, for the sake of the show, we will be watching part two, just so everyone I, out there knows. I, I know, I'm just I, not going to ache but, to see it, you know? <laughs> but I do kind of agree with you. I, I'm indifferent about whether I get to see it, I am going to watch part two. Um, yeah. No, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, I found it to be something in between. It was fun. It was fun in the s- same way of any show that is great to have on when I'm doing something else, but need a yeah. slight distraction. Uh, but unfortunately, it's also not the kind of movie that you can watch distracted because it is. You there's too many levels. There's too much dialogue going on. There's too mm-hmm. many characters Talk about the number of characters. Oh my gosh. There are that's a lot of, of characters. It's one of the things that kills me in trying to do these sort of review shows are the ones that have yeah. immense amount of characters. I'm bad with names to start with. It makes it really difficult. So uh, it is fun. It's the kind of fun movie that would be great to have in the background, but it's also a movie you can't really afford to just have in the background. Visually incredible. Stunned. Mm-hmm. Like every shot is a piece of art. is I believe that Snyder's mom was an artist, and he like learned a lot from her. He was mm-hmm. even the uh, visual director of this, and so and it mm-hmm. shows up how beautiful it is. Um, the writing, man, I, I I think it's time for Snyder to realize that he is a big picture visual person. Mm-hmm. He 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 understands what would make a good story. He understands what visually creates a, 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 a masterpiece of, of something that's engaging. I think he needs to learn to and, and admit he is not the best at writing the story. He, he doesn't do very good at creating characters that we care about um, or that we I'm engaged in.
0: I think that I think that's a hundred percent accurate. Uh, I I and I did feel like it was visually very stunning. I I thought there no. was some uh, sloppy CGI, especially like oh, in no. the uh, like on the planet where King Levitica was. Like that mm-hmm. that looked kind of video game-ish. But I think no. generally it it did look pretty good. But yeah, uh, he he doesn't establish characters that you really get invested in. And that's because he doesn't do the hard work of making you care about the character. So for instance, like Cora had multiple love interests in, in this uh, show, but like I wasn't invested in who she chose. Like the person she was seeing, I don't know that we even really met, uh, at, yeah. I mean there was just kind of we saw him from a distance or something we didn't even know who mm-hmm. he was dead. Uh so I didn't really care who she wound up with I, I didn't feel like yeah. I, I knew enough about her to be real invested on whether or not she succeeded I didn't feel like I knew enough about her community to care and right. so yes I think that's the classic Zack Snyder problem because yeah. like you know he just has finished DCEU stuff right and we didn't care about any of those characters that he directed either. And those are yeah. characters that have an 80-year history.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, Absolutely. he did get it. And how do you have a movie that is full of heroes? As a matter of fact, we have a whole segment, and I want to get to talk about this segment yeah. a little bit, where they go and round up heroes. Mm-hmm. And so it's this, the whole point of this seems to be the direction we're heading in, is that a small group of yeah. rebel heroes can overthrow a giant empire. Um, yeah. And then how do you do that? But Write it in a way that we don't care about them. I mean, I mean, and part of it is his issue. He he didn't, didn't. and part of it I think is a personal issue. Maybe I don't know him, so I'm I'm I'm, I'm guessing at this. But when he writes, and and we see that in this movie, Mm -hmm. there is a lack of um, certain types of emotions that we want to see out of our heroes, so that we can identify with them. If you think about the characters Mm -hmm. in this show. Yeah, predominantly the emotions that the main characters show are either stoic or mad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> again, classic Zack Snyder, yes. Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> but that's what he writes over yeah. and over that's again. That's what he writes, and, yes. and those just aren't emotions that we will fully identify with. We'll kind of understand them and we'll go, I know why you're there. And it, yes, it sets up the angst and the yeah. that we need to make for a decent story, but he just never really shows enough other stories he also doesn't do a lot of backstory like no he and a matter of fact rather than showing us the backstory he might visually put up a little bit of a picture but then you'll have the character dialogue the backstory and and rather than having a a flashback fully play out without uh, the character dialoguing over it which is another way of making us not care having hearing someone talk about what happened in the past as some of the video of what happened in the past is being seen. It just, you lose that connection. You don't feel like they're going through it and you want to go through that with them, you know?
0: Yeah, I 100% agree because uh, this band of heroes that we see collected, we don't really even learn about all of them. We saw some visuals for some of them, but not all of them. So Who cares if they, like whenever the guy sacrifices himself, right? Who, right. who even cared? We just met him. He we had no it. emotional stake. That's right. And I think this is why uh, this is why he doesn't work as a Star Wars director, right? Because fundamentally, that's a that is a movie about hope. And yep. where's is, is this a movie about hope? I <laughs> I'm, I don't don't know. No, it's, cool it's
1: certainly it's certainly not yet. Yeah. So let's yeah. go let's go back to the gathering of the heroes. That story. That little stretch yeah. of the that kind of section of the movie. Mm-hmm. What did you think about that? One, you know, they kind it kind of. Here, here, here's part of my perspective. Right up until that point, the move it was kind of moving. It wasn't a really a rapid pace, but it was a good pace, uh, and they were telling a story and letting it kind of unfold. And then all of a sudden, we 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 need people to fight with us, and it felt like it was like bam, 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 bam. We have our heroes. Did you did it come off like that to you? except for yes. one and i and i'll go come back to that one uh,
0: it felt like yeah, that,
1: right? right yes it did
0: and it didn't feel like we really had much of an explanation as to why that was necessary other than we did need some people to fight so like the the guy right. and the guy who was helping her you know find these these folks Gun, yeah when he uh when he ultimately or no the uh is, is he no, the, the, the he's the guy, guy. The, no, the, the guy she guy. met in the bar, the the guy from the oh bar. yeah yeah the guy that the, is the twist. Yeah, who's the twist? Like, which wasn't also wasn't a surprise because right. they didn't spend any time making us feel like they were connected in any way other than like a couple of jokes. And so, like, right. he ends up betraying them. Well, that's not a surprise. They met this guy in a bar, and he's right. going to
1: offer. And to when they him around the galaxy. And then when they meet him, he's betraying someone, and he basically says, yeah, you can't trust me. This is what yeah, I Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Kai is
0: his name. Kai. And yeah. so, yeah. So, I, so no, it didn't feel like if there was much at, on the line, much stake, or like I cared much yeah. about any of them.
1: Yeah. And then they went so fast through gathering them that we really, like you said— we didn't get any backstory on them. We find yeah. out one was a prince or a king or something, but we only find that out after a lot of stuff has already happened. It just—you yeah. never feel invested. And then there's this one character that I thought it felt like they just kept like in comparison to the other heroes, they stretched it out. His name was Tarak or Tarek, uh-huh. uh-huh. uh, the uh-huh. one that was a it's slave, a, a and brain.
0: then
1: yeah, yeah, and then he um, helps tame the bird, the giant bird. Mm-hmm. And they spent a crazy amount of time comparatively getting him out and having him train the bird and showing how good he can interact with these large beasts. And then it yeah, did not No, yeah. And we didn't, no, yeah, did didn't
0: learn anything about him. We didn't learn anything no. about him. I'm like, and then they made reference to him being a prince. And I'm like, wait, he was a prince. Right. <laughs> why, why was he a prince? And, uh, and, we didn't learn anything I don't know. about maybe him, how any of that happened. Yeah,
1: and maybe in part two, his ability to like, interact with animals is going to be a big deal. I don't know. Yeah. It just felt like why are we spending so much time on this when the rest of them we the, the other exception might be uh the the sword fighter. Um yeah. she they did spend a little time showing how skilled she was. It just felt like that's Zack Snyder showing off how great he is at fight scenes because he is great at fight scenes. Uh, yes. But it just, I don't know, that whole thing, it all felt contrived, and it felt like that happened too fast, and they did it in such a pace that I just didn't care about anybody. Um, so what did you think, then, of the overall world that Snyder created here? He had to, you know, he he, he was setting it originally on a Edge of the Star Wars universe was what his plan was, but then he was told he couldn't do that, and so he had to kind of reset up the whole thing with the Imperium and all of that kind of thing. What did you think about the whole world setting that he created here? So I agree that it was visually very stunning. That
0: that uh, you know that we we got to see a lot of things, and that that felt nice. Uh, although I, I I still I don't know I didn't I feel like there are other sci-fi movies that have done this a lot better outside of star Wars. I mean, clearly he's mirroring star Wars, but I, I, you know, I, I felt visually like it, like it was stunning, but I didn't feel real connected to the, to the world building that he was doing. And maybe it's because I didn't fully grasp exactly how uh, the Imperium came to be about what the motherland was about other than this great evil. And, uh, and how the the moon that she was on tied into it all other than they had their small community and they were producing yeah. rain. Uh, so
1: again, for me, that's a little bit of a meh. How about you? Yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of on the same page. I, I felt like there were certain things that were done really well. Velt felt like a real planet to me, felt very real. I felt like it was tangible. I felt like I understood the people there. Uh, yeah. the, a lot of the, the, uh, alien characters that they built, I thought were very yeah. cool and interesting and engaging yeah. and in a lot of ways. Um, but then the world felt very small at the same time, because when they would travel to these other planets, they kind of didn't introduce us to the planet. They were just on yeah. wherever to do the thing. And then they left the planet. And, it, and so the world, it's supposed to be like a space opera, it's supposed to feel massive and and it never really it felt massive you could just visually you could tell the difference between the the planets or the right you okay this is where that one is and this was in a different one but you just like you said it it didn't do anything to make me care or be invested or so again i think it comes back down to he In my opinion, Snyder really needs to get a great writing partner who can (laughs) listen to him set these massive ideas of what a story is going to be, and then have a person who can then write it in a way that makes us care about it. Listen, we could keep geeking out, and I imagine we would, but uh, we also need to move on and uh, get to the work that we've been here to do, and that is to begin to think about this from theological and political perspectives. So we're going to have a quick drop, and we'll come back on the other side and talk about that.
0: Welcome back to the moonshine Jesus show. We're entering our Theo politico segment where we're going to talk about theology and politics of rebel moon. As we mentioned, uh, maybe there was uh, some, uh, some story left to be desired, uh, when we were watching rebel moon, but there, there is a lot of, uh, Theo and politico overtones. I, I think here that are a little meaty. And so I want to start out by talking a bit about politics, Mark Yeah, and, uh, So the motherland is very much like the Roman Empire. And in case we miss it, they even have gladiatorial (laughs) combat so that we can make the connection, Um, which got me thinking. You know, Rome is very much vilified in the Bible. And we've talked a lot about on this show how Jesus is standing up the empire. But uh, in secular society, we often look back to Rome and I think particularly the Roman Republic as an ideal example of what representative democracy ought to look like. And so I'm curious, Mark, this is something that I remember even as a, as a kid thinking there's a juxtaposition here between how we talk about Rome in civics class and how we talk about Rome in church. How do we
1: (laughs) reconcile those two things? Oh, well, great question it's a big question you know in some ways i just flash forward to to the united states right now and you know in in the and we we think of ourselves as this great democracy and and you have all this history that kind of tries to celebrate how great of a democracy is but when the truth push comes to shove and we're down on the ground and we're looking at what the realities are, how it impacts people, what's going on. We see that, you know, it's, it's very imperfect. It's great to be able to be the people who get to tell the story because you can shape it in any way you want. Um, and I think what we have in biblical times is Jesus responding to what we saw as some of the realities of what the Roman empire really was like and the way that it really did impact people. And so, um, for for me, that's that's the way you, I wouldn't call reconcile it, but you make sense of it. You recognize that, you know, uh, for having the best concepts and understanding this is how it should be, and this is the way that we believe that we're operating, but then look at the actual outcomes and the impact on the average and typical person, they, those can have great differences. And the, our job as followers of Christ are to spot those things and point at them and name them and say, we need to change them. We need to make them better. Even if we're hearing this larger story that this is a perfect democracy and things are running the way that they're supposed to. It's just, um, that's true of every nation. The, the, mm-hmm. If the nation gets to tell its own story, it's going to sound great. If the yeah. people of the nation individually get to tell the story, it might not sound so great. I mean, <laughs> at least that's the begin, my beginning take on it. What, what would you say?
0: Yeah, I, I get it. It's a big, complicated question, and we're talking about several centuries of time here, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that's important to recognize that uh, that you know the Roman Republic is different from the Roman Empire, too, that we had right. someone grab power and Caesar and stay mm-hmm. in power, power, at which point it uh, transitioned from a democracy to uh, an, an empire, right? And so I think that 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 has relevance for us That's as massive, we're going into this election right and uh we we saw you know the last time donald trump was president uh, an attempted coup to stay yep. in power and so i think I, I i very much see a parallel here between what happened with the the roman republic becoming the roman Empire, in the United States. So I think we very much operate as empire as it is, but uh, really? I think there has been and continues to be a real danger of someone usurping power to um, mm-hmm. to, to to kind of keep keep control. So that makes me curious too, Mark. Uh, yes. As as Christians going into twenty twenty four, which we are now in election yes, year, yes, yes. what is it that we as Christians ought to be doing? to ensure that that doesn't happen, that we we don't get Donald Trump again.
1: I think one of the things that we have to do is to get past uh, this, uh, this nonsensical idea that Christians shouldn't be political Um, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be naming names and picking that kind of sides. But when it comes to the issues of this election, we need to be outspoken. We need to educate ourselves. We need to find resources that will help us understand what really solid theological perspectives about the hot button topics are so that we can uh, have these discussions with other people, maybe particularly folks who are finding themselves in the middle ground who aren't decided yet, who identify as Christian Mm -hmm. and are hearing a lot of their conservative friends uh, claim that if you're a Christian, you have to vote for Trump or you have to vote for whoever. Um, We need to be making sure that we're educating ourselves enough that we realize what the real uh, risk of these issues are, that we understand Um, what the loving outcome of each one of these hot buttons would be and how to go about getting to them. And then helping other people understand what a a true uh, follower of of the teachings of Jesus would be uh, thinking about these issues. And then we got to get out and vote. And we got to get a lot of folks to understand that that is essential, particularly this year. Um, What do you what do you say?
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think particularly when we see a candidate who is claiming to be the Christian candidate and doesn't have any idea what Jesus actually taught, we ought to see as morally problematic. And Christian leaders who endorse that kind of behavior and act as if. Say Donald Trump is is the Christian candidate. Mm-hmm. We, we ought to really, if we consider ourselves to be Christians, we ought to really do some soul searching as to what that means when Christian leaders are, are willing Absolutely. to give up uh, biblical principles It in favor of a candidate. And we got to be yeah. willing to to call that out. And I think that's going to be super important this year, something I'm sure Indeed. we're going to be talking about a lot. A lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to pivot a little bit. I want uh, to talk about some uh, theology here. In, in terms of Isa, who is kind of the princess that we yeah. don't get we don't get a lot of insight into other than seeing in a couple of scenes and flashbacks. Mm -hmm. And we find out that, that Issa has this power to give life. And uh, I thought that was interesting. And so Cora says, I saw on more than one occasion things that I couldn't explain. And so that made me wonder, Mark uh, in the Bible Jesus is credited with lots of things that are beyond explanation. Uh, Miracles, exorcisms, uh, Mm -hmm. resurrections. How do we make sense of
1: those things, Mark? Uh, Well, I think really the quote from uh, our main character, Cora, helps us I think with that, in that Mm -hmm. uh, she saw things she couldn't explain. That doesn't mean that her explanation of them is what actually happened now of course in this setting and in this fantasy world it probably is what actually happened but it does point to a way that we need to learn to approach biblical times in the pre-scientific age is that frequently when something happened that a person couldn't give uh any rational explanation to at least in terms of their understanding of how the world worked there would be what ultimately are sort of irrational explanations of it because it seemed to explain what they thought they saw. So I I think that's part of what we need to make sure that we're paying attention to when we see these things that just are Scientifically, we know they could not be true. So what's going on here? And, and is the Bible lying or is it is someone telling a, a, a falsehood? And recognize that in some cases, and it's not certainly not for all the pieces yeah. that were in, in there. In some cases, it was just the writers trying to make sense of what happened. In some cases, it was trying to lend a bigger story to a person who had a massive impact on a lot of folks and needing to attach stories to say, that person was pretty special. Let me tell you this really unbelievable story so you'll understand how special they we were.
0: Yeah, I, I uh, 100% agree uh, with that. And also you know recognizing that in an ancient world where they didn't understand physical and mental ailments in the same way that we do today, that, you know, it's likely that Jesus did go around and do whatever it was that ancient healers did that in a pre-scientific world, you know, and, uh, and that's okay for us to say that that's part of what he was doing, even though that's not what we understand today. And we don't understand anything miraculous as as happening from from that but but i agree that we can we can see jesus as being compassionate in that way uh without having to uh explain the way via magic and uh, i think that's that's an important entry point for progressive Christians. so another another thing about one of those scenes mark where she yeah. was where isa was giving life uh to a bird yeah died. it made mm-hmm. me think of the infancy gospel of thomas <laughs> where jesus has made these these birds that are fashioned out of mud right and they flaps yeah. and they come to life and so yeah. um I, I i don't know why that image came to my head as it's soon great. as I it's great it's a great that. connection it, it, it's it's kind of fun so that yeah. that made me think uh we we haven't talked a lot about non canonical gospels yeah. here and i'm curious mark for christians today are those of any use to, to us?
1: Yeah, they're incredibly useful. Um, you know, th- there was just a, gr- a group of people who were being led uh, by, speak of Rome, of the Roman leader, uh, who chose what was going to go into the Bible. And sometimes it was for good reasons, and sometimes it was for political reasons. Uh, and so these other books, a lot of them, the the emphasis narratives are one, were actually used more than some of, the, by the churches of the day, were used more than some of the books that made it into the Bible, because, you know, they did more of, of, of what the emperor wanted. So yeah, if if what we approach the text for is to begin to have an understanding of what the folks of that day and age thought of, in this particular case, the uh, their rabbi jesus and and how they try to make sense of and understand who jesus was they're they're essential i think we have they lend some insight that we might not gain otherwise and they also can teach us a lot about the gospels that are canonical and tell us some of the stories and backgrounds and some of the traditions that led to what we have so i i i find them fascinating and frequently very very helpful um I'm sure you've used them before, even in, in sermons and that kind of thing, right?
0: Oh, I have. I I love to read from them because they're fun. I mean, mm-hmm. like birds coming to life. and I mean, the Infancy right. Gospel of Thomas is a lot of fun. And I agree that I think they're helpful in understanding what people believed at the time. I think they're yeah. less helpful in understanding who the historical person of Jesus was, with the sure. exception of the Gospel of Thomas, not the Infancy Gospel of Thomas, but the Gospel the of Thomas. Yeah, yeah the quotes uh, I think it was early and I think that one's helpful I think so, so so but I think they're a lot a lot of fun to to read hey I've got a lot more theological and political yeah. questions but we're out of time so uh, if we continue down this road we won't get to go to our favorite segment ah. the make me look stupid segment and we got to get there so why don't we take a quick break have another drink come back and try and make each other look stupid <laughs>
1: to our Make Me Look Stupid segment. Uh, It's a segment where we commence to try to make our co-hosts look stupid or just ask a question that we really kind of can't figure out ourselves and are very curious to find out what their thoughts on it are. I had several questions. I always try to be prepared because you like to steal my questions. This time around, I did pretty well. I I don't think we really stole any of them. But I'm just going to continue down the path of Princess Iza that we were talking about. Um, I'm curious why would you introduce a character with princess isa's abilities that we just talked about and then kill her off she was killed in the war before the everything that happened happened what's the point here what do you think's going on
0: i think we're going to have a stronger connection to her in part two um and uh, i think we're going to see her be uh, being a major major catalyst for cora um i mean and I think maybe she's not dead I think I think she's coming back uh and and is playing some kind of a role I don't know exactly what that role's going to be yet but but I don't think we've seen the last of of uh Isa. I think she's coming she's going to be uh in part two
1: and I think she's still alive how about you what do you think I agree I think she's still alive I think that Cora's adopted dad Balisarius who rose into power as a senator Mm -hmm. and somehow Mm -hmm. now is in charge I think that he spread this uh, story that she was killed and that she wasn't really killed and much like he tried to do with Cora, he's trying to get her to be part of his movement and he sees how valuable that would be and and I think yeah, I think she and Cora will connect again and will she'll play a very important role going forward. I, I at least hope that that's what's happening and that it's not just another example of bad writing <laughs> so <we'll see. laughs> well uh yeah you know maybe but well
0: it's already filmed uh probably part two there's there's no getting another yeah. writer in no it comes out in
1: april so they're bound to be it's in done. editing already it's yeah.
0: Done. yeah yeah okay well so i want to i want to ask another question on on princesses so this is really interesting because oh, okay. she didn't she didn't play really much of a role we, at all we got two little <laughs>
1: flashbacks that were short <laughs>
0: But uh, uh, clearly impactful. So one of the one of the things that was uh, well, I think impactful for people who are talking about theology because she's clearly presented as the Messiah figure, as uh, yeah. Jesus type, Absolutely. and so she's even called Chalice and Redeemer, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and so. Um, I'm curious. Uh, they said that she's the daughter of the king. You know, there are prophecies about her being born in the flesh to usher in a new age of peace. So these are clearly messianic kind of allegories here. Um, and as I was listening to that, especially her name as Redeemer, it, it made me wonder, uh, you know, even in a, a lot of progressive churches There's a lot of talk about God being creator, you know, the God, the creator, God, the sustainer, the Holy Spirit, God, the redeemer, Jesus. How do you feel about the notion of Jesus as redeemer? Is it theologically helpful to understand him in
1: that way? Is it valuable? or? You know, in the way that it's typically used, I, I don't find personally, I don't find a lot of value in it. I think it kind of pushes off responsibilities, um, in terms of Redeemer, in terms of redeeming the outlook of humanity and redeeming the way that we understand who we are supposed to be and uh, any any um, tendencies towards negative and, and seeing people as other, that that could be helpful, but that's not really how we end up using it. And so I, I think it's actually really damaging. I don't think that there's, there's anything particularly helpful about putting that in someone's hands because you can just push it off into the future and just go, "Well, we don't have to worry about it because you know, in the second coming, the Redeemer will be here and things will, will all be for the better." So, um, at least in the way I've seen it used, it's it's bad theology. Uh, <laughs> what about you? I really struggle with this because a lot of a
0: lot of denominations use this language creator redeemer sustainer and Rainer, i think yeah. they they try to use it in that way to askew the masculine language of like a trinitarian formula Which, like father what, son and holy spirit
1: and lots of appreciation for recognizing the need to do that right but, but about the still-
0: choice <laughs> We're, well, we're still thinking about God in the same way, though. It's yeah. not. I mean, is that really a progressive yeah. understanding of God, or is it just like a recognition like, oh, well, maybe God's not a, an old guy in the sky, so we should like use right. some language. So I, I kind of have a problem with that because I don't think it's really a, a great understanding of God or a real mm-hmm. biblical understanding of God. The Trinity, I don't feel like, is very biblical to begin with. It's definitely so, not. Uh, So I I have a problem with that. I I have a problem in thinking about Jesus as the redeemer of humanity and certainly like the redeemer of our souls. But I I guess I can understand how like if if we're thinking about living our lives towards a model of peace, justice, love and compassion and being us towards lives. Yeah, that kind of can be restricted. Yeah, but, but let's be honest. But-
1: let's be honest. You have to work hard to get it there because that's not yes. what most people are using it for. <laughs> yeah. So is it no, worth really not. working that? <laughs> is it worth really yeah. using it, working yeah. that hard to? Are we? Are we it's, trying to reclaim a word that we shouldn't be using anyway? I'm. I kind of okay, feel like so. Conspiracy. So
0: it sounds like you and I both, Mark, are are like are thinking maybe that's not the best formula. So I. <laughs> I so I've got a part two of my question, assuming uh, that we okay. might end up there, fair which enough, is uh, what what kind of language should churches use to replace that model with? Uh, it's like a creator ah, Well I uh, I
1: don't think they should because it's mm-hmm. it's intentional Trinity language and mm-hmm. as you've pointed out and I've written quite a few articles on and and had some uh even sermons on, uh the Trinity in general is bad theology that's not biblical in any way whatsoever and the only thing useful about it in my opinion is that it does set up an understanding of god being a god of relationship and Mm -hmm. if there is anything valuable in it it is that it points to that we can best understand god in relationships uh Mm -hmm. but outside of that i find it not helpful even trying to reclaim it in a way that might point towards that. I think there's just too much baggage that comes along with it and that we need to walk away from it. That's what okay, I do.
0: I, I'm good. So, I, I let's, I I'm good with walking away from it. I don't okay, ever I guess, use Trinitarian language anyway, I don't either. I, uh, <laughs> but, but I hear it a lot in my, in, yeah, in my it's, own Yeah, It's around a lot.
1: Yeah. And so it really uh, is. And I'm, I'm not sure what folks see believe are helpful about it. Uh, you know. They just, it just isn't, there's nothing about it that's biblical. And sometimes we do things that aren't biblical, but they usually come with a good reason where you can see, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's actually kind of helpful. That, that's good. Mm-hmm. And the Trinity, i just, I don't see anything that ultimately, uh, moves us forward in a more positive way than, than not using it.
0: Okay. Let's get rid of it. I'm good. I'm good with that. <laughs> you and I already have. <laughs> We're right there. <laughs>
1: Well, Mark, uh, this has been fun. It's been a lot of fun. You know, we got got to talk next week. Uh, Disney has uh, dropped all of the five episodes for uh, the show Echo. And I think that's something that we should... One of the Marvel ones, it's a really interesting... uh, Echo is a Native American. Her name is Maya. uh, And it's the story... We we got introduced to her already in some other uh, Marvel uh, shows. Uh Uh, She is... um, raised by Fisk if you remember Fisk the uh-huh. big man out of out of uh, Daredevil and and he kind of a semi adopter and this is a story of her rebelling against him and her trying to get her hit, hit, him trying to get her to be part of his empire and her uh realizing that he's responsible for the death of her father and her reconnecting to her native american roots so it's a lot of richness going on i think this would be a fun thing to talk about man
0: Oh, I think so too. And, uh, and Fisk is Vincent D'Onofrio, right? And he uh, yeah. he did a, a great job in, in that yes. role. He's just fantastic. He's such so a I'm really excited villain. to revisit that. Oh, he is a great villain. Uh, yeah, and such absolutely. a great character actor.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that'll be our next show. So make sure you catch those. They're five episodes and they're all relatively short. None of them run an hour at all. Uh, and it is I've already watched it it's really good so I encourage everyone to do that hey and thank you all uh, whether you're watching live or broadcast online or whether you're listening back on the podcast we always want to make sure that you know how grateful we are for you that we we get to do this because you show up and listen or show up and watch and so thank you uh, and until the next time uh, enjoy the Moonshine Jesus show Moonshine.